Hello and welcome to One on One. My name is Steven Sloan and I should really keep this arm cast on, but Daddy needs to go to work. And joining me live from the nation's capital, my very own brother Mick. How you doing, bro, bro? Yeah, no, I, I get what you're feeling. Like, every so often you just have a situation where, like, maybe you only broke your arm, like, a week ago, but, like, there's just, there's there's bad guys who need to get beat up, so you just kind of got to flex your way out of that arm cast. Yeah, and just save the world by punching dudes with your broken arm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I'm doing good. It's a, it's a rainy day here in the district. Yep, your weekly uh, DC weather report. Yeah, after doing two consecutive podcasts in the same place, we're now the thousand miles apart it began and it's sad yep. but actually less than 500 but that's okay it feels like a thousand miles it does wow and, and here i thought i knew how geography worked <laughs> it's a we live in a big country bro, bro. less than 500 gets much i think it's like literally 400 miles so are you saying it's 500 miles to you and then like another 2500 miles to california yeah yeah exactly i don't think i don't as east coasters i don't think we realize how far apart stuff gets once you get past the missouri well i guess that's because like arizona is gigantic yeah you have these little tiny like i think virginia is big Mm. and then like five virginias is like one arizona and as long as we're talking about giant things i hope you enjoyed our preview of the one-on-one geography pod coming soon to an uh earbud near you but yeah what are we actually talking about today we are talking about the rock versus rocky yes and how our big wait 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 pause pause to let them take in the gloriousness of that joke okay okay continue basically about how i i don't want to say action movies because i think it's a little more universal than that sort of how like our big blockbuster movies have changed over the past 40 years Mm -hmm. whether we're at like a tipping point or not what sort of things i think will happen in the we think will happen in the future and who better to exemplify that than arguably the most important like action hero movie ever? Because like Rocky, I mean Rocky is a boxing movie, and the yeah, franchise yeah. is a boxing franchise. But he also like fights like these crazy talented dudes and beats them, and he ends the Cold War and like. I think the way to describe it is that Rocky the movie is not an action movie, but Rocky the character is an action hero yeah and and he's he's one of the most revered people or um movie characters of all time i mean relatively recently we were watching creed Mm -hmm. by the way and you pointed out like rocky there's like a rocky statue yeah which is a real thing (laughs) like it's not just for the benefit of the movie yeah at the rocky steps at the art at the philadelphia art museum there is like a statue of rocky I mean, now, granted, like, in in a way, it's, like, it's honoring the actual Rocky Marciano guy. Mm. But, like, it's it's there. Like, let's be honest. It's there because of the And we were talking about it. It's the only, like, non-mythological statue that we can think of of somebody who, like, truly didn't actually exist. In the sense that we think of Rocky today. Yeah. We grew up in the D.C. area, so we know a lot about statues. We have many. Yeah, we've got statues of like George Washington and like Jefferson. Yeah, did those guys end the Cold War? I didn't think so. No, they didn't. But Rocky is just this crucial part of American culture. Really, it's because like Rocky is kind of the avatar of the America that we want to think we are and can be. Maybe we didn't all start off with a silver spoon in our mouth, but like through hard work and dedication and just accepting that any normal person can be extraordinary that's how this nation became great and and i think we like to think of that as our heritage and our history and rocky is very much like the the embodiment of that which is why i think he's so beloved yeah and so and and rocky like i mean it's hard to understate how like the lengths they go to make rocky a normal guy in the first rocky movie he's like he's blue collar to the to a fantastical degree he's um he's down on his luck he he lives in a bad part of town he um his main or he's he's literally dumb as a rock like he can barely like read no, I mean, yeah, i'm not kidding point like, he can barely read both in the original movie and in creed yeah like like there's a whole subplot in the i think it's rocky 2 where like he learns to like be better at speaking for so that he can be a public figure and even like his fighting style 
I mean, the key to his entire fighting style isn't how hard he punches. It's just that he gets beaten up and then takes a bunch of punches and tires his opponent out and then he yeah. wins. And yeah, and and that's just such a magical idea. This action hero who really has no business succeeding in the context that he does, but he still, through sheer force of his hard work and his determination and his grit and his toughness, he achieves the ultimate thing that we all would like to achieve. Mm -hmm. He wins a boxing match, but it could be like any goal that you set yourself towards. Yeah, yeah. What's funny about that is I think that the biggest action star right now in terms of bankability and in terms of the fact that I don't know anyone who dislikes him is The Rock or Dwayne The Rock Johnson or Dwayne Johnson, whatever you want to call him. And if you don't believe me, um, here's a couple of points. For starters, uh, he made a Hercules movie. Yeah, which I didn't believe and, this when uh, Nick said it. It looked really stupid, and like it was just The Rock. Like Apparently, The Rock throws a horse at one point, and it was just a ridiculous-looking movie, and it made $250 million. Yeah, and as we, as we saw from the terrible... Uh, what's his name? Callan Luntz? Whatever... The dude who made the Hercules oh, yeah. movie that came out before The Rock's Hercules movie. It came out like four Nobody's months seen earlier. that movie because they want to see Hercules. Everybody's seeing that movie because yeah. they want to see The Rock. Yeah, which is actually, which if we have time, I'd actually love to get into the concept of how somehow movies get released that are the exact yeah. same within like 12 yeah, months yeah. of each other. But um, the other case I'd make for The Rock is he was in that a movie San Andreas last year. And the trailers I would literally describe as watching, like, an entire city collapse and then a close-up of The Rock in a helicopter. (laughs) In, like, kind of a, like, kind of a goofy, like, helicopter helmet. helmet. Like, it's too small for his head, like... And, like, just The Rock in such a confined (laughs) space is kind of funny. Right, besides the fact that he looked like if he, like, stood up, he would just make the helicopter explode. And it's literally just, like, the entire city of Los Angeles buckling under the Earth's, like, crushing movement. And The Rock just staring at it in his tiny helicopter going... Oh my god. And that movie you said like literally made almost a half a million dollars. It made four hundred and fifty million dollars. Basically what that movie is is like the trailer yeah. sums it up perfectly. It's Los Angeles getting destroyed, spoiler alert. And yeah. the rock just in various states of being aghast and or saving people. And that movie made four hundred and fifty million dollars. That's how bankable the rock and the, is. And the amazing thing about the rock versus Rocky thing is Sylvester Stallone is kind of the kind of action hero you'd see at the time. Like he he's probably like five eight. And and he's like he's in good shape in Rocky, but in like a very believable sort of way. And when you watch him run, like he doesn't really look like he's enjoying himself. Yeah. He's kind of like grimacing. Well, yeah, this is uh, it's um, we're talking about the Rock, but a lot of these things are particularly evident in Creed, because by comparison, they do a lot of homages to the original movie, but michael b jordan looks so like unbelievably athletic doing all of these things that you realize how goofy sly stallone looked in the original rocky movie yeah it's it's weird this is probably some point a point of um or like a symptom of some sort of sports obsession disease (laughs) but it's reached a point where like whenever i watch an action movie or like a sports movie i study how these people Mm -hmm. move because I, I watch I watch so much sports and you can usually tell just by watching someone run and like how they change direction. You're like, OK, that guy is a great mm-hmm. athlete. Like you can see it. I made the observation when we were watching True Detective, yeah. how Matthew McConaughey looks like looks like a like trained police yeah. officer. When Matthew he McConaughey moves. still holds the belt, although Taylor Kitsch gave him a run for his money for most believable cop actor. Taylor Kitsch is a good example too, yeah. Like like you wa- I watch him, I don't think he's a good actor <laughs> at all. And in fact have said some very mean things really, about him. Truly horrible things. But that guy's an athlete. Yeah. Like like he there's something impressive about the yeah. way he moves. There's nothing particularly impressive about the way Sylvester Stallone moves. Yeah, yeah. Even at his most built. He does a really good job in his boxing scenes, and he did a ton mm-hmm. of work to get to the level he had to, to to actually do his own fights. 
but that was just this incredible amount of hard yeah. work and determination. You don't watch Sylvester Stallone and be like, man, that dude is an yeah, athlete. Yeah. You think, wow, that dude has done so much to make himself look like an athlete. Yeah. And and once upon a time, that was extremely valuable. Um, but you compare that against The Rock. <laughs> Who literally looks like he was chiseled out of granite. Yeah, he, he's a full eight inches taller than Stallone. Like, can you imagine, imagine if, for example, they made, like, instead of making Creed about, like, Apollo Creed's son, <laughs> they made Rocky training, like, The Rock as a boxer. Like, like, it wouldn't be the believable. The first training sequence would be, like, 30 seconds long, and it would be The Rock, like, doing jumping jacks, yeah. and Sly Stallone just being like, I literally have nothing to teach you. You're already yeah. perfect. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, he would, like, punch the punching bag, and the bag would, yeah. like, fall yeah. off. If The Rock was in a boxing movie, it would have to be a boxing movie where, like, in the championship match, the terrorists attack, and he has I to save us. I actually think it's it's the Rock boxing movie is going to be the sequel to Pacific Rim, except without the like giant robots. It's just The Rock punching the the lizard things, punching them like the just lizard. by himself, like yeah, nobody so he, else. So like you look at The Rock and you like look at the things mm-hmm. he does, and it's just kind of like watching like a yeah. god. I mean, literally like a Greek yeah. god. Like, he's 6'5". He's like 270 pounds. He's probably like 1% body yeah. fat. And so somehow we've transitioned from this plucky underdog who, like, wins fights by outlasting his opponents with his toughness to this six foot five like, Adonis who lifts up concrete yeah to save his wife in san andreas and he like picks it up like it's styrofoam Mm -hmm. and and it's and it's believable well yeah that's that's what that's what's amazing about the rock is i've yet to see the rock do something in a movie where where i've been taken out of the experience and been like there's no way he could do that because you you literally believe the rock could do anything yeah well you you make a reference you made reference to this with your joke at the beginning with like flexing out of the cast like to people who haven't seen the Fast and Furious movies and the most recent mm-hmm. one, that movie begins with The Rock getting like badly injured in a fight. Like he literally like falls out of a building yeah. or something onto a car. Oh yeah, that's and right. like he shatters he shatters his yeah. arm and he spends most of the movie in a hospital in a hospital yeah. room like with a huge cast yeah. on his arm, and then at the tail end of the movie, he sees on TV that like. Vin Diesel and the gang are fighting like these terrorists and he's just like he turns to his daughter who's in the room with him and goes daddy's got to go to work and then by sheer force of his like bicep (laughs) muscle flexes out of this fiberglass cast and you watch it and you're just like if any other person did that I would just be like like if any real person tried to do Mm -hmm. that they would be in excruciating pain but you watch the rock do it and you're just like well he probably doesn't feel any pain, and even if he does, he's not gonna let that. Yeah, stop and it's him. not that it's, he's it's the not rock. that it's not campy because it's definitely like the thing that I love about, especially the later Fast and Furious movies, is they know exactly how ridiculous they are, but like, it's yeah. not campy in the oh my god that's so ridiculous way. It's it's just like you still somewhere in the back of your mind think, yeah, if the Rock needed to bicep flex his way out of a cast despite having yeah. a broken arm, he could probably do it. You kind of laugh at it the same way that you would laugh at like LeBron dunking on somebody. You're just like, <laughs> it's crazy yeah, that he could exactly. do that. But but I you also yeah. um, in describing that scene, you get at one of the things that I think makes the Rock so popular, even out of an action hero landscape that seems to get brawnier and brawnier by the year. And that's the relationship he has with his daughter in that movie. Because up until this point, he's basically been like... (laughs) The joke is that he only talks in exposition for most of the first two movies that he's in. Uh, Yeah. And so he's basically just this dude who has two jobs. And that's to explain what's going on in the story. And just to beat the ever-loving crap out of everybody that comes in his way. And yet... Which, which is yeah. amazing. Like, hang yeah, on. If yeah. I can just interrupt you for a second. When he says that he talks in exposition, he's being very literal Yeah, it's about not this. like, so like, ha-ha, like he does it every, like, three lines, yeah. but it feels like he does it. The, the, fast, the fast and Furious ma- mm-hmm. filmmakers are true artists and geniuses. <laughs> yes. And they understand that once they cast The Rock in Fast Five, it would draw a whole other audience yeah. to this movie. 
And as it turns right. out, they were right because it's gone from this kind of yours fun, truly like, included <laughs> popcorn movie to like this billion yeah. dollar action yeah. franchise. And The Rock was a big part of that transition because, like, I remember I hadn't seen any of the Fast and Furious movies when Fast Five showed up mm-hmm. in the trailer, and the first scene is just The Rock like talking about how he's gonna take these dudes down, and I was just like, like I was like gripping yeah. the seat, like I was just like, yeah. oh my god. The Rock. But no, like, yeah, we're not being facetious and we're not over-exaggerating. He literally only speaks at exposition. So the filmmakers know that he's drawing this new audience to it. And they're probably just like, okay, but who is Vin Diesel? What do these people do? So his very first scene, The Rock steps out of a Humvee and just goes, okay, people, what we're dealing with is a group of people who's like, they they drive around in cars and And they steal something. He's like, okay, there's like, Toretto does this. And like, he's explaining what everyone does. And it totally works because The Rock is the most awesome person ever. And full disclosure, The Rock is probably like third on my list of like favorite people in show Mm -hmm. business right now. It's like... It's like Brie Larson, Daisy Ridley, and The Rock. Rock. Yeah. In that order. That's a little background if you haven't seen those movies, which A, you should see those movies. (laughs) But B, the entirety of the two previous movies that he was in, that that was his job. His job was basically just to like punch dudes and explain things to people who hadn't seen the previous movies. And then just out of nowhere in in this most recent one, it's revealed that he has this adorable daughter. And yet, yeah. like, nothing about their relationship feels forced or tacked on or silly because you 100% believe that, like, The Rock is an awesome father. I would totally believe that The Rock is yeah, an awesome father. Yeah, and that, I think, is a lot of his appeal because I think we're impressed by by all of the the crazy stuff that he's capable of doing. But I think those, as we've seen in the blockbuster culture in general, that has diminishing returns. You know, you can only destroy yeah. San Francisco so many times before people are like, okay, this is getting kind of gross. Yeah. The thing about The Rock that I think makes him so special is that not only is he capable of doing that, but he's also capable of making it feel like he's in his living room doing some sort of improv scene for a bunch of his friends. And you're like one of his best yeah. friends. And it's that personal yeah. connection that really makes him the biggest action star in the world right now. Yeah, I, I would cut my left hand off to be yeah, the rock. <laughs> for friend. real. Well, it's funny because you, I think if you're talking about the sort of relatable, mm-hmm. like kind of like winky action star, you go back to what I would argue is one of the most important action movies of mm-hmm. all time and one of the most influential, which is, any guesses? It's um, it's uh, Die, Die, Die Hard? Is it Die Hard? <laughs> Yeah, it's Die Hard. Wow. It's almost like we already recorded this and I knew what you were going to say. <laughs> it's almost like we had it's almost like we had a discussion about yeah. this earlier. No, but it, it's Die Hard. Jake Peralta is like getting all warm and fuzzy inside right now. It's it's this tremendously successful movie about a guy who's isolated by himself and he's just a normal everyman in a bad situation trying to fight these terrorists yes, armed only with a pistol and his razor sharp whip and and like he doesn't even have shoes and the best it's literally best just a pistol in his way is that like John McClane never really feels like he's a danger he just feels like vaguely annoyed the entire time yeah <laughs> and again yeah. yeah you you i think that that movie is so beloved and so important a um as yeah. you pointed out because it's like the perfect version of that movie but i also yeah. think it's because again john mcclane feels like a very relatable character he's not this dude who's just like all right i need to go punch some dudes like he has to figure out how he's gonna walk across broken glass without shoes on and like he yeah. mumbles to himself like <laughs> like basically verbally abusing himself for half the movie yeah. And it feels like somebody you can really relate to. And so that's where the relatability mm-hmm. comes from. But even though you can sort of draw that through line from our blockbusters then to our blockbusters mm-hmm. now, that doesn't change the fact that Die Hard is an everyday guy, like this like 5'8", like skinny dude, fighting these terrorists in the skyscraper. And 27 years later, we have The Rock literally saving los angeles from the rupturing of yeah. the earth and and the rock who is as we've mentioned this statue of a man who just like if you saw him on the street you would just be like oh my god that guy's yeah, huge right it makes the the action um, movie of today uh and the rock is a great example of this makes Die Hard look like a chamber piece yeah and so so now that we've established that comparison and 
heroes like Rocky and like John McClane to people like The Rock and comic book hero du jour. Mm-hmm. And actually, this is perfect timing, and I didn't even think about this. Uh, Batman versus Superman opens on um, Friday. Do you mean Bats vs. Supes? Yeah, Bats vs. Dawn Supes. of Eustace. Dawn of Jorstice. <laughs> Dawn of Jorstice. <laughs> yeah, but, which which I don't... Yeah, but how did we get here? I, I think it's, it's... Where are we it's going natural, now? It's a natural, like... Like I said, it's it's trying in vain to battle the law of dimin- diminishing returns. Because, you know, people only, like, once you see somebody save a building from a bunch of terrorists a, a certain number of times, that begins to feel old. And so then it's like, oh, now we have to ha- save a city from a bunch of terrorists. And now, like, oh, no, the terrorists, like, destroyed a building. And then it becomes, oh, no, the terrorists have destroyed an entire block of New York City. And then you get to like the Marvel movies, or um, the Man of Steel is is another particularly egregious example of this, where just like they're just destroying entire American cities in order for the stakes to feel high enough for us to, us to be invested. And and actually, I think that I think where that comes from, uh, there was a while where every action movie was just Die yeah, Hard. Yeah. So like Die Hard is yeah. Die Hard, Speed is Die Hard on a bus. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, the White House Down, that movie with Jamie Foxx and Channing Tatum in the White House a couple of years ago, that was Die Hard in the White House. White House and Die none Hard. of those movies lived up to the original mm-hmm. Die Hard. And I think a part of that is because, for starters, Die Hard is like a religious experience for some and, people. And it is. I mean, it is a great movie. It's a great movie. And like people, I've seen people who haven't seen Die Hard admitting that publicly and people just gasping. Yeah. They're just like, what? Well, I made, I made the Jake Peralta joke, but like, uh, obviously Jake Peralta if you've seen Brooklyn Nine-Nine like it, one of the running jokes is that Die Hard is his favorite movie of all time and the reason why that's funny is because everybody knows what Die Hard is and what Die Hard represents like that's funny because Die yeah. Hard has such an ingrained spot in our culture that we, we yeah. know why that's funny I think at a certain point people stopped wanting to see that exactly so yeah for the longest time like everything was beholden to Die Hard because Die Hard was the action and movie. and at a certain point I think people stopped wanting to see that yeah. because we already had Die Hard nothing was going to be better than Die mm-hmm. Hard and like for example if they remade Die Hard today with Channing Tatum and like they called it Die Hard and like set it in like a skyscraper Which, by the again. way coming 2020 people would be outraged i mean they're making ghostbusters exactly so nothing knows? they they will remake die hard but i think our point is that it will never like even come close to approximating die hard the original and in truth it, it would probably star like the australian guy from <laughs> yeah. point break no because as i <laughs> just be like yippee-ki-yay because as i said at the beginning yeah. like die hard is almost literally the perfect version of that particular movie yeah uh, and so Every once in a while, that comes along. It's like how nobody's made a, a good approximation of Casablanca because Casablanca yeah. is the perfect version of that movie. And every once in a while, these movies come along, and nobody wants to see another version of it because it can never be as good as perfection. It's untouchable, and that's very difficult. That's a conundrum because that was a super hit movie that everyone right. wanted to imitate because Hollywood's very much a copycat Well, because it's a business and they see, wow, that was really successful. Yeah. Let's keep making that until it's not successful anymore. And we never, we never really kind of hit that sort of stratospheric, mm. like incredibly like, like what's the biggest action movie of the nineties. Do I, you even I'm know? Not particularly movie literate. So I have no idea. No, but but if, if if I asked you if I asked you what the biggest action movie of the eighties were, it wouldn't take you that long before you landed well, on Die wasn't Hard. The Terminator was that in the seventies? No, oh, it was the eighties. Terminator might be in there too. No, come on, Die Hard's bigger than the Terminator. Die Hard is aged. A lot I could not than tell Terminator. you what the biggest action movie of the nineties was. I literally couldn't. Every time I think about a movie getting made, and maybe I'm the only one who does this. Maybe I'm just crazy. I like to think of like a bunch of dudes in suits yeah. sitting around a boardroom in a Hollywood studio office. They're just like, guys, we need to crack the code. What do we do now? And it's like, like they're just like, guys, we can't make Die Hard anymore. No one wants to see Die Hard because it's like it's already been yeah. done perfectly. And some guy just goes, uh, what if they were like trying to destroy the entire Earth? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of when that really became like status quo for the stakes in an action movie. You know when it started? What? Like 
comic book movies. Well, no, because like, what about like alien invasion movies? Is that like different? Because like, you think about a movie like Independence Day. Although, oh, that's it. That's yeah. the one. That's the '90s movie. Oh yeah, Independence Day is the biggest '90s action movie of all time, or the biggest '90s action. But you movie. you just made our point. That that was the point of escalation, though. At a certain point, action movies only became like big again when they raised the stakes to an almost cartoonish degree. Yeah, they're they're like, and and it's been exacerbated by the comic book movie. Yeah, because they're like, we can't have this cool quippy guy like scrapping his way through this like, I mean, obviously, terrorists taking over a building is incredibly serious. Yeah, but in terms of a grand scale of things, it's not as big as aliens invading the Earth. Right, and so suddenly you enter Will Smith. Will Smith as this like wisecracking, like very charismatic pilot at the center of uh, of Independence Day. Yes, you likely know him from such classics as Wild Wild West and Focus. That's right. Yeah, but so um, inarguably his two biggest movies. Yeah, and and ever since then, I mean. We, we saw it we saw it with the Batman movies the way that it escalated mm-hmm. too I think that people have run out of ideas to do these kinds of small scale movies in a creative way mm-hmm. and so the yeah. impulse is always to make it bigger right well well the joke was that um, there was a run of movies I don't think it started with with Man of Steel but like we're literally the ending is just let's see how many buildings in a major american city we can destroy it wasn't man of and steel like, it was transformers oh that's right yeah and and the automatic of climax of every action movie yeah. since then has been all right let's see how many buildings in yeah. new york let's say we can destroy it was it was, it was the minutes. first transformers movie and the thing is like yeah. like i think that that's kind of a great illustration of how we got from rocky to the rock is the Transformers mm. franchise, every subsequent one has been worse reviewed than the previous one. Yeah. And yet that's inverse to the to the box office. The box office keeps going up. And what's amazing is kind of reading I feel like we're falling into this pattern of comparing everything to Donald Trump lately. <laughs> like we compared Eminem yeah. to Donald Trump a couple of weeks ago. But it's yeah. kind of like the way that it's kind of like watching these like establishment like republican leaders watching the rise of trump is the way that these movie critics look at transformers they're just like oh my god they're making more of these and it's big and it's loud and it's annoying and we just there's nothing we can do because it keeps making money and you know like like the scale of we saw this with marvel too um the Mm -hmm. first marvel movie i mean honestly the the end of the first marvel of the first iron man movie is kind of anticlimactic yeah and was actually maligned for that yeah well yeah it just wasn't that you didn't really feel like it was spectacular yeah it was just like two dudes fighting in tin cans on a rooftop yeah yeah and then but by the time the avengers comes around it's like new york city getting attacked and people running in peril and captain america saving people in the subway and like so it's interesting how we got from this every man doing amazing things through like grit and through determination and through hard work Mm -hmm. we've transformed that to these extraordinary people because as relatable as they are someone like captain america or like iron man or like whoever the rock is playing is completely unrelatable from a physical standpoint like like you don't watch those things and see the rock lifting like building foundations and thinking (laughs) if i was in that situation i could do that too you could yeah yeah no yeah and i don't know i i think that there's something kind of i think there's sort of I mean, I hate to get dark with it, but I kind of think that our anxiety about terrorism kind of plays into it. I think that some you can take a certain amount of comfort from watching these things and seeing, well, no matter how horrible it gets in the Avengers, the Avengers will save the people. Right. They're so extraordinary that regardless of the stakes, you know that they can rise to meet. Yeah. It, it just yeah. it just doesn't matter and um and i think that that's very powerful for some people and i think that there's a certain degree of wish fulfillment to it it's everyone wants to believe that no matter what problems we face we can overcome it and i think the problem that that 
Hollywood ran into, and I think the reason why The Rock is the biggest star, the biggest action star that we have, is because he's the only person who I've seen in one of these movies who can simultaneously match the physical stakes. He looks like he's capable of like saving something from destroying New York. Yeah. But at the same time, he he has that warmth and that believability and that relatability in a weird sort of way that um, marks all of the most sort of popular and beloved heroes yeah. that we have in movies. And and I actually, the thing that really drove this home for me uh, was in the trailer, and I apologize that I don't know the name of the movie, the trailer for the, the new Kevin Hart, uh, The Rock Vehicle, where basically the conceit is that The Rock and Kevin Hart were best friends in high school, and then The Rock comes back and he's now this like government super agent. And the thing that was so striking is like, that's not an unusual, like that's not a, a surprising setup, you know? It makes sense that those two guys would be in those two roles. But the hammer of that trailer was uh, a like little scene of The Rock back in high school when he's this like flabby, like goofy dude, just like being silly. And if you think about somebody like Sylvester Stallone or like, um, like Jean-Claude Van Damme or the sort of great Van giant Damme. action heroes that are like the closest analog to The Rock from a physical perspective... I would never ever believe that they could pull something like that off because that's not what people wanted from them. But the rock, it feels like such a person that you can connect to that. We want to see him look a little bit more like a normal person because we in somewhere inside us, we all like believe that we know and we want the rock to succeed. Yeah. And so it's funny that the stakes have gotten huge from Rocky to the rock but really what we what we value most in our action heroes really hasn't changed all that much. We want people that we can if if not necessarily relate to, feel like we could like hang out with or be friends with. And I, and I think in part I think part of his success and what his success says about how movies have changed is that and I think this is kind of what you were getting into. He's the only person who as the scale has grown of these movies He's the one actor who you see doing these extraordinary things and think, yeah, I believe that he could do that. Yeah. This this seems like a person who could exist. He's he's larger than life in a way almost paradoxically yeah. that feels very believable. Yeah. And so so we we've suddenly found this great shift where suddenly we have our action movies have gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Literally to the point where um, in the horrendously reviewed and totally not at all seen Gods of Egypt that just came out, the people involved are literally like larger than life. They're like ten foot tall gods. Yeah, they yeah. literally tower over the humans in the story, and yeah. it's gotten so far that even the heroes have to become inhumanly large for yeah. us to believe the stakes that are at are at play. We're hardly the first people to bring this up, but it really does yeah. feel yeah. like we've hit a certain tipping point here, mm -hmm. where the stakes that we're watching now we've kind of become desensitized to them i mean not to say that like it didn't feel anything watching age of ultron but mm -hmm. um there's a great writer named mark harris who writes about movies and uh he wrote a piece for grantland the or sadly the now, defunct yeah version. sadly defunct uh espn spinoff and he made a joke about how while they were making Age of Ultron, they had already announced the Infinity Wars, which I guess is some sort of like collision between the people from the Avengers and the people from Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, neither of us are particularly plugged into yeah. comic books. So like, I'm like sorry that's that's apparently that's that. apparently what the movie is. And Mark Harris, this writer, makes this joke how can we take the action in age of Ultron seriously when we know that the infinity wars are coming? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and that's a very good point. And like, and it's, it's reached a point where as someone who's seen every Marvel movie and I've liked some of them and I didn't like a couple of them. So I, I'm hardly like a fanatic. I think I'm like an average moviegoer when it comes to how I feel about the Marvel movies. Mm -hmm. It's reached a point where I kind of can't take it anymore. And I don't mean that from a standpoint of the sort of like snobbish, like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just done with superheroes thing. Mm -hmm. It's like I watch 
20 characters charging at each other who all have names and backstories and like their own like movies in the civil war trailer and i just can't even handle it like like who am i supposed to root for here like will the movie tell me who to root for i i just i don't know Well, this this actually this comes to kind of where we think it could be heading because i think you're right i think we've reached kind of a critical mass with this. yeah like how can the stakes get any bigger all that's left is our currently established heroes to punch each other right yeah going back to my aforementioned fantasy of these movie execs sitting in a conference room somewhere just picture being like okay guys we need phase three for the marvel movies what do we do uh maybe they could all like fight <laughs> So so yeah, it feels like we've hit a wall with this, and the yeah. rock is kind of the only the only thing cutting out of the static of this sort of over ginormized like super aggressive like macho version of the the action movie that we have, and it's bearing itself out in box office numbers other than the Marvel movies and rock movies really pretty much that nobody is interested in these gigundous unnecessarily enormous action movies yeah and so mick and i were kind of talking about okay well neither of us are like huge action movie fans but we're we're fans of like looking at how culture works and i take that personally i am a huge action movie fan <laughs> oh I, i'm sorry i didn't realize that please but uh we were wondering okay well it clearly we can't go any further down this road where do we go next yeah and, we, and you actually said well, all we have to do is look at the most successful movie of the year last year and certainly probably going to be one of the most successful movies of all time. It's the second highest grossing movie of all time. Yeah, and, and it's The Force Awakens. And that, I mean, the destruction in that is limited to a relatively abstract destruction of like a solar system, I guess. But you don't like, you aren't invested enough to understand what the stakes are. But other than that, it's like 20 dudes trying to blow up a building at the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and yet everybody loved that movie i think more than just because it was a rehash of the the original star wars but because it focused on the characters and the world they inhabit and it made us fall in love with these people who are a part of this not necessarily be on the edge of our seat about whether they can save america and and i think i think it established real emotional weight without being overwhelmingly grim and actually, but I think I think even that's kind of an interesting in terms of in terms of how what we want to see our heroes do is changed now in the original Star Wars movie, which, as a bunch of haters on the Internet have established, The Force Awakens is in many ways a retread of that familiar plot territory. However, yeah, dad, that movie ends with Luke doesn't really do any. He doesn't fight Vader like he watches Vader kill Obi-Wan. Um, whereas in this one, not only does Ray fight Kylo Ren and like kind of kick his ass, yeah. But at right, no point, at no point watching that was I or like the average moviegoer thinking like this could never happen. We were watching that and just being like, "This is so cool." Yeah, yeah. Like one of my favorite moments of any movie I saw last year, and I saw a lot of movies, was when Adam Driver's like got his hand out to catch the lightsaber and it flies past him and daisy ridley catches it Mm -hmm. and you're just like oh man and so i think that it's kind of i think the movie world is kind of watching star wars now Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. i think that that franchise is so obviously bankable and as they put out one movie a year from like their star wars anthology type thing they're gonna make literally like half a trillion dollars (laughs) Yeah, they could kind of set the pace for what types of heroes we have in the future. Yeah, I think there's a chance that they're ushering in this next, this next generation of action movies. Yeah, where they're more like character driven and they're less concerned about like how much destruction can we wreak. Yeah, but, like, how can we make the audience care about and be invested in these characters? Yeah, because because there's no there's no buildings collapsing or like massive crowds of people like getting crushed by like a skyscraper transformer. There is a there is a building uh, collapsing in Star Wars. There is. Yeah the the cantina. Oh, that's right. 
but it's like it's certainly not destruction on the scale even that we saw in like the first Avengers. It's movie. it's not. It, I mean, people aren't watching New York cave in on itself. Yeah, like, yeah. It's well, divorced from our experience. Yeah, I mean, so it's not quite as immediate. Yeah, I mean, not to suggest that we can't care about like some random planet in Star Wars is people getting melted by like the laser thing. But it just it doesn't have the same sort of grimness of like, oh, this is New York. I've been to New York. I've seen all these people. Oh well, oh, this there is goes someone. The Empire State Building. This is someone making a movie of all of those people getting crushed. Yeah, it feels yeah. much more immediate because we know what that looks like. Yeah, it, it's there's something just oppressively dark about it, mm-hmm. and I think that we're at a crucial point. Like I said, like the the Avengers, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has been has put out one of the biggest, if not the biggest movie every year for the past eight years. Mm -hmm. And in the next five years, they're going to put out Infinity Wars and Infinity Wars 2. It's two parts because, of course, it is. And and that's it. Like, I don't think that they can go anywhere from there. I mean, it can't get any bigger than a battle for the universe. Like, what does Marvel look like after that? Mm. They have to they have to basically start over. Is there going to be an Iron Man reboot in 2025? Are we just going to redo this over and over? Yeah, we're just caught in an endless cycle of the same like beats in movies every like 20 years or so yeah and so i think that we're at an interesting point where that franchise Mm -hmm. is about to wrap up and it's unclear where we're going to go from here as people who watch a lot of movies it's something that i think both of us are really interested in seeing so really really quick what's something that you want to see like what does your action movie what do your action movies of the future look like like what is the characteristics you want them to have see like this is the thing like i i wouldn't like exactly can uh i wouldn't classify myself as a big student of action movies and i I like some of them but i'm not like super invested in them or a a blockbuster movie then it doesn't even have to be an action movie i do think that if we've learned nothing from star wars other than this it's that we need to have we need to have more people who aren't white dudes at the center of these movies because you know it, it gets old even for two white dudes there's a big and brave and interesting world out there and we're only like making movies about a very small swath of them other than that i'm a big like noir detective fan so i'd love to see more action movies that are kind of shaded towards investigation and sleuthing and that sort of thing hmm. i don't know a, a good spy movie is always great um, yeah i would see that but certainly something that's more like I'm always more of a character interested person. I would be much more interested in seeing a movie where the stakes are on a very personal level and you feel invested in the people involved than like seeing the world get exploded. But yeah, I don't know. What about you? Yeah, what, what do you think? I'd be curious because you're more of a action movie head than I am. I'm going to piggyback on what you said because I think that what makes... Well, my favorite blockbuster of the past five years are the Fast and Furious movies. Oh, can I say one more quick thing? Yeah, go ahead more space give me all the space space is fun what about a noir in space i would love space noir Uh, any any space you can do i i I want outer space space noir that's the big thing that would be a pretty cool idea for a han solo movie starring it actually would be pretty dope the irish guy or yeah starring uh um uh taron edgerton I would see a han solo movie starring taron edgerton i'm okay with that i don't know if i want a han solo movie what I want to see from my movies, my favorite yeah, yeah. blockbusters were, um, I, I loved The Force Awakens. <laughs> For and some I, reason, I was convinced you were about to say Snow Dogs. I, I liked Snow Dogs, too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think that movies should necessarily emulate it, but I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I loved The Force Awakens, and honestly, I don't even really think of myself as a huge Star Wars person. But I, I loved that movie. And I loved the Fast and Furious movies, and I liked them for, I think, the same reason. That so much of the sort of the big action beats of those movies are very nicely bolstered by the sort of emotional resonance built by these Mm -hmm. relationships. Yeah. My favorite thing about the Star Wars movie was the relationship between Finn and Rey. Yeah, yeah. And how they just, they felt this connection for each other. Right, and it didn't have to be, how do we get the two main characters, like, 
together. Yeah, it was it's just about like, them being friends and respecting one another yeah. as, for what they were capable of. And and they left that totally ambiguous. And honestly, I have no idea where they're going to go from that. Are they going to get together? Are they going to just be friends? Is there going to be some sort of love triangle with somebody else? Like Finn Dameron forever. <laughs> for real though, that would be like my favorite thing ever. If cuz like there you can make a compelling argument that they hint at some sort of like romantic connection between finn and poe and i just think that would be the coolest thing ever and it's a similar thing one of the things that made uh fast and furious so powerful is they go to these incredible lengths to protect any like given member of their crew but that's because it Mm -hmm. goes beyond these people are not dispensable each one friends i got family exactly each person is very important and to the point where like I'm not a movie crier at all. And I didn't cry during this movie, but I got like a little bit emotional at the end of the fast Mm -hmm. seven where it was like basically this goodbye to Paul Walker. And it was like a goodbye to Paul Walker, the actor, but it also was just this beautiful tribute to the amazing relationship that they'd spent seven movies building Mm -hmm. between Dom Vin Diesel's character and Brian and Brian, who's Paul Walker's character. And yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't think it, but yeah. Fast and Furious is one of the like most secretly wholesome franchises yeah. we have. And and really in a completely unironic, completely believable way. It's built around this incredible relationship between those two main characters. And yeah. it's amazing watching I recently watched like five or six of the Fast and Furious movies in like a two week span. <laughs> And it's amazing how that relationship changes over time. And when they like, when they fight, when they get into conflict, it feels really real. Mm-hmm. And that type of stuff, I think, is really powerful. I think it's what I loved about the most recent Rocky movie was the mm-hmm. relationship between Adonis and between Rocky was incredibly affecting. And I just think, I think that when you slow down and you really invest time into these characters. Mm-hmm. and building their relationships and making it seem like because in every movie it's like oh we gotta risk like everything to save this person yeah and you're like why well it's like there's a huge supposedly emotional moment where scarlett johansson gets captured in the avengers and i just saw that and i was just like oh okay i mean mm-hmm. like how sad would they really be if they killed black widow but i think it both of our answers to a certain extent although mines were a little sillier Uh, get at this point that i think is really central to why we wanted to talk about this is that despite the fact that action movies have taken the ivan drago sized vial of steroids and just gotten huger and huger what makes the beloved action movies beloved is really the same and it's that we want to care about the people who are involved and we want the stakes to be human not these enormous like oh my god the world's gonna be destroyed yeah and and i really do think that that bears itself out in at the box office we we want to care about the rock just as much as we cared about rocky and we can want to care about whoever ends up replacing the rock as the biggest movie star in the world yeah yeah i hope it's michael b jordan I, I would be 100% behind the Michael B. Jordan action hero era. Either that or there's a great opportunity. And, like, this isn't a segment. This is just me, like, just <laughs> pleading pleading this. Dear people who want to make the Tomb Raider movie and cast Daisy Ridley in it. Daisy Ridley is amazing. And she's, like, a great... And she's just this great, expressive performer and this, like, very good action heroine. If you cast her in this movie... Please don't let it suck as much as the other ones. Yes. Please give us something more akin to Indiana Jones, but with Daisy Ridley. Yeah. That's what I want. I think that we could have a situation where Daisy Ridley is the biggest star in the world, and I want it to happen. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But enough about Daisy Ridley. (laughs) Daisy Ridley is one of the many patron saints of this podcast. She's a hero. If we had had a podcast studio, we would have like we would have a poster of her on the wall so i I think that pretty much we kind of got to the the center of what we were what we were trying to get to with this do you have anything else to add on this no i I think we covered everything i i'm i'm interested to see what happens next i don't think i'm gonna see batman versus superman i i don't think i will partake in the bats versus although just a quick thing this is the segment that that we're gonna do i have something else i want to talk about but 
all the haters out there, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is awesome. Like, I just really enjoy what that dude is doing with that character. Yeah. And I might actually see that movie just because I just love Jesse Eisenberg just having the time of his life as Lex Luthor. And what about for Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill's American accent? I do. Somehow I developed a soft spot for Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill's American accent. So I'll probably end up seeing it, but I don't think I'm going to enjoy yeah. it. I, I actually think Henry Cavill would make a great Superman, but I don't think I don't think he fits in this movie. I think he'd be great as yeah. Superman in sort of the like Christopher Reeves, like 80s style Superman. Ironically, he would have been perfect for the inexplicably failed Brandon Routh Superman reboot that I actually really enjoyed and I'm not sure why that didn't take off. I liked it too, yeah. But like Henry Cavill would have been perfect for that. <laughs> and James Marsden as um as the guy who Lois Lane ditches for Superman. Uh, Jimmy Olsen, isn't he? <laughs> no, no. He's or like he's her he's like her fiance. There's a great none other than the brilliant Bill Simmons made a joke once that James Marsden is forever confined to playing the role of the guy whose wife or girlfriend the hero of the movie steals. <laughs> There's a whole pod in there somewhere about how hard I ride for James Marsden and how sad I am by his career. Jack Lame. Yeah, that's right. But yeah, so I, I think that there's a good Superman movie you could make with Henry Cavill. I think Ben Affleck's a great director and actually a really good actor in the right role, but I don't think that there's this any version the of right a Batman role. movie I want to see him in. Yeah. Gal Gadot of Fast and Furious fame. Yep. Yeah, we've we've long been fans of her acting in yeah, those movies. She, and so she's I'm great in those movies. Get attached to a probably ultimately an ill-fated superhero vehicle. Yeah, I, I lamented I lamented when someone mentioned her um, I was talking to you yesterday. I lamented mm-hmm. that knowing Zack Snyder, she's going to be more seen than heard. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Yeah, one I actually th- do think she's an interesting actor. Here, here's one thing about that movie, just real quick. Mm-hmm. I think people are kind of acting under the assumption that it's going to be either great or terrible. Yeah, yeah, probably I, terrible. As if you ask most. People. No, I don't agree. I think it's going to be wholly mediocre. Oh, I just mean, I think public perception yeah. is that it's going to be terrible. <laughs> I, th- I think it's just going to be mediocre because I think that Zack Snyder's directing it. And I think that that's just his mode. He makes yeah, these delight, like he makes these not delightfully for the eyes. He makes these utterly mediocre movies. Like I was watching yeah. 300 at the gym and I was just like, this is ridiculous. Like this is not enjoyable. It's kind of cool. Mm-hmm for like two minutes i feel like that's Zack snyder in a nutshell kind of cool for two minutes yeah and and the critical reception to man of steel was like yeah i don't know it was fine i forgot bats vs soups is rated r what oh there's sorry there's an r-rated cut (laughs) yeah this movie's gonna be terrible i'm sorry oh my god no i'm so not looking forward i think it's gonna be mediocre i'm not gonna see it like i'm definitely Mm. not looking forward to by the way just as a footnote before you do your uh, your your bit the rock kevin hart spy movie you mentioned is called central intelligence oh and, and i will be seeing it yeah and it's uh it's coming out june 17th i'm I already have tickets hopefully this isn't a precursor to them remaking beverly hills cop with kevin hart but, it's on the table yeah. everything is yeah. possible but anyway i i hope we hope you've enjoyed this uh mm-hmm. this long discussion of blockbuster movies and now yeah steven would like us to hear him out yeah we're gonna go back to because i realized that we've now continually introduced segments without going back to any of them (laughs) and so we're gonna go back to uh, a callback to the very first podcast and we're gonna do a little little thing called hear me out and if you can't remember what that is because we haven't come back to it hear me out is where one of us either mick or i tries to convince the other and by extension you all to watch participate in listen to or do something and this week we're going to talk about um a little game that i I, a video game that i just finished that i am completely in love with it's actually relatively i think it came out relatively early last year but it just got a physical release it's called life is strange and it's by this little small company named uh don't nod i think they're french so i think it's like don't know or something (laughs) but anyway basically what this is is it's a it's an episodic story that's it's basically like a point and click adventure style 
game. It's available on consoles and PC. And it's the story of this this young photography student named Max. And uh, the conceit of the story is that she wakes up in the middle of class and she learns that she has the power to control time. Oh. And it seems like something that could be like really gimmicky and ridiculous, but they utilize that power to tell this incredible character study of her and her best friend from her childhood named Chloe, who's become this kind of like difficult child, like punk kind of person. And it shows how when you are actively participating in a story the way you do in video games, it, everything becomes so much more real and immediate and meaningful. And so like they leverage that to tell this incredibly nuanced and relatable story about this girl who learns to accept herself and to understand that she has a voice and deserves to be heard and that maybe like going through life trying to make sure that everything is perfect isn't such a good thing and one of the people who made the game said that it's kind of cruel because they give you this power to turn back time and change things as a means of showing you that really nobody should want to have that power Hmm. and really the point is that life is what it is and by trying to make everything perfect you kind of make everything worse Hmm. Uh, and so it's just it was really surprising it's like an eight hour experience um i finished it over the course of a couple weekends just doing an episode at a time and it's just like it's so well written and it has so much character and even if you're not like a big fan of video games it's really easy to get into and i think like it's it holds itself to a standard from a storytelling and a a sort of emotional weight perspective that is really rare i think in any kind of media let alone video games which can be characterized by a great deal of sort of entitlement and vitriol and insularity Mm -hmm. and it's just an incredibly inclusive beautiful story it has two female characters at the central which in and of itself is kind of incredible and really cool and so even if you're not like somebody who who sort of dips into that medium i i really urge you to try it it's it i think it will be really worth your time it's a really wonderful experience interesting yeah and it's yeah so it's that's that's about all i have to say you know it's a five dollar thing to get the first episode if you like it you can get the rest of it if you don't you don't have to but it's something that i think is worth trying because it it demonstrates that sometimes video games can tell stories and make impacts beyond other media because of the sort of interactive aspect of it yeah so it's definitely worth your time yeah that, that's a very interesting point and i think actually that yeah. sort of insular barrier is kind of starting to come down i think that we're not far yeah. away from a situation where video games and i'm actually not well i i'm an interesting case i think in this because i don't really play a lot of video games i i play like sports games and so I think it was probably like a like six year gap between when I played like a narrative video game. It was something on GameCube. And then the next thing I played was Mass Effect. Oh, yeah. And I could not yeah. believe the leaps that had been made in like the way that video games tell stories in just five years. And when you think about that kind of advancement, I think that there's a lot of opportunity there and a situation where video games can transition to becoming this very powerful storytelling medium i think that we're probably not that far away honestly from a situation where a relatively decorated like hollywood screenwriter signs on to be like the writer of a video game like the story creator for a video game yeah that would be really because i think you're right i think that the leaps are continuing to be enormous because it's such a young medium and yeah i think people are taking it more seriously and and realizing that there is this opportunity and the the telltale games which i'm also a big fan of do this in a way but i've never seen it um have the the sort of relatability and the emotional impact that this game had so yeah like it's a relatively low barrier to entry you can try it out it's like i don't know the first episode's probably an hour and a half two hours so it's like two episodes of game of thrones or something it's just I, I couldn't not recommend it because it, it sort of fell through the cracks um, last year. And I just think it's a it's a very rare and very beautiful piece of art just in general. And so I just kind of wanted to give that a little shout out. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's actually that's a great way to wrap this up. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, that, I guess that's everything that we have to talk about. Uh, thank you everyone mm-hmm. for listening. Follow us on Twitter. We're at one on one pod. That's numeral one on numeral one pod. You can subscribe to us on uh, SoundCloud or on iTunes and also on yeah. Stitcher if that's your thing. Please review us if you like the podcast. Mm-hmm. We would love to yeah. hear from you. Um, any yeah, of our any of our like seven listeners. Yeah, and really like it's hard to overstate how much we appreciate that y'all tune in, the people who tune in week to week. Like we we just sort of started this on a flyer and and to see at least even even a few people who really like what we're doing, it means the world to us that that you want to share this with us and we would love to like get your input and try to make it the best possible thing that we can yeah yeah because i mean we we already have more listeners than we thought we would honestly we didn't think anyone was going to listen to it except for our mom but yeah um but yeah no it's um we we'd love to hear from you so um thank you for listening yeah that's all we got thanks obama